Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Okay, so I want to show you this verse because in the next, during this series of Acts, we're going to have different people at different times coming up here and sharing. And um, the reason they're sharing is because of what I've highlighted here from Acts 1-8, which we focused on um, last week and the week before. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, and even at branches. And so, none of the people that are coming up are what you would call public speakers. They're just witnesses. You don't have to be a public speaker to be a witness. You don't even have to do it up front with a microphone. But I asked uh, Patrick Hanak to share this morning. And usually when I call people, they kind of, uh, uh, and I, I send them a text, and I said, hey, I know this is probably going to make your stomach churn, but would you be willing to share? Five seconds later, yep, exclamation, exclamation. He goes, I, I've been wanting to share what God has done. And I asked Patrick, because I've seen a dramatic change in Patrick since I've met him. And I always liked Patrick. We used to ride bikes together. Um, we used to hang out all the time. Then we planted this church. They were still at Shoreline. But then something happened, right, Robin? <laughs> like something happened inside of him. It can only happen because the Holy Spirit says, okay, I got this. And so, Patrick, why don't you just come share what you want to share? I can't even tell. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so, like Book said, I'm not a public speaker. Thank you for having me. So it's an interesting path that I was on. Um, anger, frustration, broken relationships. Those were the path I was on. Uh, blame. I was looking for every excuse to not look at myself. I never found peace. If I was riding my bike, Book mentioned, I couldn't find peace in the downhill because I was complaining about the next uphill. If my kids were playing sports, I was complaining that they weren't playing enough while they were playing. I could never find peace. I was always looking to look at, find the negative. I really struggled with who I was, and that who I was was never good enough. And I placed that on everyone around me rather than myself. I was actually a pretty good guy at the time, I thought. But the truth was, I was so unhappy, I couldn't find the peace that I needed. And this went on from the time I was a child all the way up until about two years ago. And two years ago, well, I'll go back a little bit. Seven years ago, I broke my back and had some spinal cord damage, and spent about three years in bed recovering in a tremendous amount of pain. I uh, wasn't walking much. I was really uncomfortable. I mean, I was in 
severe pain. I uh, didn't leave the house. I'd get up once in a while to go to my kids' games. I uh, really isolated. Again, looked for blame. I was angry. I was mad at my wife, even though she did everything she could to make me happy. I mean, Robin bent over backwards. She was a saint through the whole thing. But I took all of my frustrations out on her. And I, I mean, I just lashed out constantly because of the pain that I was in. And Dave Jansen, he was constantly reaching out. Hey, man, why don't you come to church? Why don't you come to church? No, I'm not going back to church. I have no desire. I have no, no need for church. He's like, no, really, just come. Just come. Nobody cares. They want you there. I'm like, no, man, I have no desire to be in church. So I decided one Sunday on my own, like, hey, Robin, let's go to church. Like, I'm not going to church with you. Like, you, you're not a church guy. You've proven that. So I, I went to church one Sunday, and that was maybe three years ago, and I've been here every Sunday since. And uh, after about six or eight months in church, I reached out to Boog, and I said, hey, I'd li- really like some healing prayer. And I went into the office with Boog and Tim and Bryn, and uh, really was ready. I mean, really, really ready for prayer. And at this point, I mean, I was still walking with a cane and struggling. I mean, struggling every day. I was taking a tremendous amount of pain medication. And I mean, I was not a happy guy. Book anointed me with oil. I mean, we really prayed. And I felt a switch in my heart, like a light went on. Now, the pain's still there at this point, but my attitude changed as the Holy Spirit came into my life. Suddenly, that bitterness changed, and God started moving because I changed, because I allowed the Holy Spirit to now come in and start moving. And some of the things I learned as the Holy Spirit comes into your life is if you let him He will take over as far as you let him. And the further you let the Holy Spirit move in your life, the further he'll go. And what I discovered was, while the pain was still there, it didn't matter as much, right? Because my heart was softer. So I stopped lashing out. I stopped getting as angry. I stopped caring as much. I started enjoying the things that were bothering me before. I didn't have so much frustration and anger. The things that were bothering me before weren't bothering me as much now. I had a heart condition. My heart was severe. Like I was seeing the doctor. I had to go start seeing a cardiologist. That was gone, like instantly. Like the day before we prayed, I saw a cardiologist. A week later, I went back and he's like, I don't know what that guy saw, but there's nothing wrong with your heart. <laughs> I mean, it was healed that fast. The pain that I had in my legs, they said, this is a permanent condition. It's never going to heal. There's nothing we can do about it. It's virtually gone now, the, the spinal cord damage. They're like, you'll never be the same again. I'm walking without a cane now. I'm, wor- I'm working again. I, I was told I'd never go back to work. I go to work every day. There are days where it's uncomfortable. There are days where I 
might have hurt a little bit more than other days, but God has healed and changed my life. As God, Jesus said to the cripple, get up and walk. He didn't lift him up. He said, now get up and walk. You have to be willing to do it. You have to believe in the power of God for God to work in your life. And that was the lesson I learned through prayer, through believing and seeking the right people to pray with. The power of prayer is so strong when you pray with the right people. Book has been so great at encouraging us all to be here and be present every Sunday. And I think one of the main reasons is if we're here and we're gathered and we're strong as a community, we become stronger in prayer. It is so important for us as a community of believers to be united and strong and together. So on that note, I'll just say, cross the aisles, greet each other, and spend about five minutes enjoying each other's company. Basically, anything I say at this point is not going to be remembered compared to what Patrick just shared. So just want to officially say that's okay. Um, and don't be surprised if some of you get that random text, because um, a lot of you guys are on that list. And when you do, just trust that God's going to say what he wants to say. Because what's going to happen is everyone's going to come up to Patrick and say, you're amazing. I can't believe you did that. And Patrick's going to say, I didn't do anything. I just shared what God did. If anything came out of me, it was from him. As we talked about last week, that's what God does. When you let him indwell you, he's the one that does it, not us. So if you get that text, just remember that. That's not my way to talk you into it, by the way. Okay, so we're going to jump into Acts 1. Deeper in, we're now down to about verse 12. We're not really going very fast, and that's okay. Uh, we're going to go all the way, th the plan is to go through chapter 11 of Acts. So we're going from chapter 1 to chapter 11. Um, as long as it takes to do it right. But a few weeks ago, um, we talked about being in a season of a time for change. And we talked about the importance of us going through Acts, and not just going through Acts and coming here and have someone else tell you about Acts, but for you to be in God's word yourself, reading with it, wrestling with it, writing notes, asking questions, doing what you can to listen to God. But yet when we throw that phrase out there, what does it mean to have a time for change? And I shared that Sunday, sometimes I'm not a very good communicator or people aren't very good listeners. I just know that. Because I've been doing this long enough to know, wait, you heard me say that? So no one gave me feedback that made it sound like they didn't hear what I was saying. But I just want to make sure we keep going over what does it mean a time for change? What kind of change are we talking about? Is this just for branches? Is this for me individually? Is this for us as people? Are we talking about the whole culture? So this is a, a good way for me to try to describe it. We uh, were doing a wedding a couple weeks ago for some friends that we've walked with since they were in junior high. And one of them actually younger. And at the wedding, one of my friends, who's uh, older than I am, did his son's wedding. And he said, yeah, I stole a lot of what you shared at different weddings. And I was like, well, I wonder what that is. And he shared something. I thought, that's a, that's a very succinct way to say, what do we mean by a time for change? And this is what I'll share often with couples. And he stole it for his son's wedding. It's, what is love? And so... Love 
is not a feeling. It's a choice. And so when we talk about this time for change, we're talking about the fact that when we are embracing God and when we're embracing each other, it's not about our feelings towards God or our feelings towards each other. It's a choice. It's a decision. And we need to move towards that because we've been trained completely the opposite. We, we swim in a fishbowl where we are told that it's not about serving others but us being served. So I want to give us an example of that. So someone posted this, and I saw this, and I thought, that is just, that's a unique way to look at it. So I took it, and I tweaked it a little bit for us. I want you to look at the, the difference of perspective of when you go to a movie or when you're a part of the church, okay? So this, these are different approaches, but this is neutral the way I'm throwing it here, but I want you to see how it can go either way, all right? And this is what I mean. So do we approach the movie experience and the church experience differently? For example, when you go to the movies, do you say, hey, the director and the staff, they didn't talk to me. I walked in. The manager didn't even recognize me. They didn't, no, no, the people, they just gave me my popcorn, whatever else you want to add there. I did go a few times, but nobody was friendly to me. Every time I go, they ask for money. Is that a movie or is that church? It starts too early or too late for my schedule. I went so much as a child, I feel I don't really need to go as often now. It lasts too long for me to sit and enjoy. Now, there are a few movies that have been that way for me. I don't like some of the people I see around me. That's my favorite. Because I've never really, well, I have thought, well, we'll get in that. <laughs> I do not always agree with what I see and hear. I don't like the music some of the time. I'm so busy, the weekend is the only time I have with my family. So there's expectations when we talk about this time for changes. We need to change our expectations because when we go to the movies, it's just another way that we've been trained, right? Like I have a list of expectations when I go to church, and I have a list of expectations when I go to the movies. But why do we have expectations that we carry into being with God or with the people of God? So, for example, when I go to the movies, it's, it's, I have a very clear expectation of the way things should go. I'm going to put my feet up on the seat in front of me, and no one can sit there. I'm going to come early so that I have that all for me. And then there's going to be a seat next to me. And most likely my kid or my wife is going to be on this side. Nobody sits in that seat. And when they do, I, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to be upset. And if you ask me, I will tell you. But no one ever asks, right? Because you just, everyone's in there for themselves, right? For example, when I'm sitting down, I don't want to hear any talking. Once the trailers come on, trailers, you can't talk during the trailers. They might be better than the movie, so no talking going on then. If you're going to open up your wrappers, open up your wrappers before the movie starts, right? That's, oh, I can feel it. I can feel the hairs raising because that's not supposed to happen. Um, and I better not hear you chewing or crunching. 
this is an issue I have, not just the movies, but anywhere else, you need to know that if I've heard you chewing or crunching, I've fantasized about your death. <laughs> and so in the movie theater, there should be none of that. You wait for it to be an explosion or something, and then you can eat or you can suck the last bit of soda out of your whatever it is you're drinking. I have an agreement with the management there. They charge me $15 to $17 a ticket, and when I want to drop my trash on the ground, we all know it's okay, right? But here's the thing. I don't ever, when I'm at church, ever expect someone that's crossing through the rows, getting out, going, hey, I'm going to go get a drink. Do you want something? Have you ever had that happen? <laughs> hey, I'm going to go get some popcorn. Did you want a treat or something? I'm talking about somebody you don't know, right? Not your family that came or you're the parent and you have to ask it or you're on a date and you better ask. But that just doesn't happen there because we're trained to come and to be served, not just there but in so many different areas of life. We're in this school. Do you know how hard it is for teachers? Because they have parents that have their own list of expectations. But when we come to God, when we come to each other, it's supposed to be different. And we need to understand that's going to be hard for us. This is what I mean by a time for change. When we looked at Acts, when, when Peter was sharing with the people and he said, look, this Jesus is Lord and Messiah and you crucified him. And so then all the people that were gathered, God's spirit spoke to them. They're like, oh my gosh, he's telling the truth. And so they knew a change needed to happen. And so what did they say? They said, okay, brothers, that's because Peter was the one talking. He's a dude. Brothers, what, what should we do? That's the attitude. That's what we mean by a time for change, where we come, not coming to be served, but to serve. And Jesus gave us the model for that. Another thing that happens at weddings is, um, so after, after they share their rings, we give them the opportunity to do several things. They can take communion together as their first act of worship. They can have their family come up and pray over them. It's up to them. But one of the things that we do that not many people choose because it's too touchy-feely and they don't really, but some do. And what it is is, is they, you'll set up a chair and a basin of water and they'll start with the husband washing his wife's feet. And so they'll wash their feet and clean their feet and then the guy will sit down. And why would they do that as their first act of worship? Because Jesus said, what I have done for you, so you must do for one another. And when it comes to marriage, like we said, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. And so their first act as a married couple often is to, I'm going to wash your feet because I'm probably going to do things that are a lot harder than this to serve you. Because that's what I'm promising today in front of everybody, is that I'm promising to serve you. And at this time, at the time of Jesus, when they washed feet, that was like the grossest thing you could do. Because... They didn't have high tops. They didn't have boots. They had sandals. And there was, there was and still is dirt everywhere. So their feet, they'd walk in and it was traditional that a servant of the house, usually someone they paid, would go and wash everybody's feet. But Jesus said, that's not how life is supposed to work. Things need to change. And so here we have in John 12 or 13, after washing their feet, he, Jesus, put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Because he just washed their feet. And they were kind of freaked out about it. 
So he goes around and washes all their feet, and they're kind of stunned. And actually, Peter has an argument with Jesus going, you shouldn't be washing my feet. He goes, if I don't, you can have no part with me. He goes, all right, fine. I'll just do my feet. Do everything there. Whatever you got to do, I want to be a part of you. He says, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. That's a little side note here. If anyone goes, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, he just called himself Lord. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So as we talk about what it means to be the people of God, it starts with us washing each other's feet. It starts with us, number one, coming to God and say, what should I do to him? And then, as we know, his greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor, starting here in the body of Christ, love your neighbor as yourself. In the movie theater, wouldn't it be really cool if someone said, hey, I'm getting some popcorn. They got these sweet Thin Mints now. Yeah, the Girl Scouts took over. And now it's in here. You want me to get you some? Who's going to say no to that one? But it's that attitude that we have, not just here on Sunday morning, but during the week with our neighbors, with our family. That's what it means to have a kind of change. But what do you do when the people around you bug the heck out of you? You know what I mean? <laughs> because what I want us to do is I want us to look here in Acts, see this first church, and say, okay, okay, what does it mean to be one? They're going to serve each other, but what does it mean to be one? What does it mean to be on the same page because as I look around at you and I know some of your personalities it's really funny that some of you are in the same room right now so how are we supposed to be one what does that actually look like because we, we need to agree on everything but the early church had to deal with this kind of stuff so let's look at that so if you could open up to Acts 1 uh, and start in verse 12 because this group of people they weren't always on the same page. They weren't always in agreement at times. And you know they got sick of each other. So here we are. The apostles, they returned to Jerusalem because they were up on the Mount of Olives. And they say it's a Sabbath day journey. That's another way to say that's an actual term they would use, like a hop, skip, and a jump. It would be a short hike, probably because I actually did it, probably like 15, 20 minutes or so. It's not very far. So half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. So somewhere in Jerusalem, the main city, they went back there. And look at the people that were there. Now, if you haven't read the Bible before, that's okay. But these people are difficult to be around. You can just tell by the things that you've seen them do. I mean, you can see, okay, so we got Peter, we got John, we got James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot. That's his nickname, by the way, Simon the Zealot. It's also a term. Okay, have you ever been around someone, you probably don't use the word zealot, but someone that's just so intense that you can only handle them for a little bit? I think people think that about me. But you're just like, okay, I can take you in doses, but man, they're hanging out all the time. Peter, that dude didn't know when to be quiet. He would just talk and he'd get up there. In fact, he, he's about to go through a full-on speech to everybody. He's about to give a sermon. That guy... You know he's got to start bugging you at some point. And he just says what's on the top of his mind. He got in trouble all the time. And John, 
I don't know if you ever noticed this about John. Peter, James, John, one of the big three. That dude is competitive. Have you ever read the book of John? Well, you know, and I was leaning on Jesus's. I am the one that Jesus loved. I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. And my favorite one is when they're running to the tomb. It says, and Peter and John, and this is, this is John talking about it. He goes, Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved ran to the tomb. But the disciple whom Jesus loved got there first. Like, you ever been around competitive people? And they just start talking, and they start talking about themselves or their kids or their jobs or the whatever. And you're like, huh, huh, oh, I'm going to go get something to drink. And really, you just want to get away from them? And then they had this group of women, and I'm thinking Mary's there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. You know she had to be crying, right? How many of you are like, oh, somebody's crying. I don't know what to do. I can't handle it. It's like, you, it's like your kryptonite. They're crying around you, and you don't know what to do, and you want to fix things, but you know you can't fix things, and so you don't know what to do, so you just walk away. Usually dudes. But all of them had these unique personalities. But it says... All of these with their minds in full agreement. Or some of your trans... Man, don't grab a Bible. Where are your Bibles? Grab a phone. Grab a Bible. Open it up. What are you, you guys are killing me. Open up your Bibles because I want you to see this. And so some of the translations of the Bibles that you're opening and you're looking at, they'll say all of these with their minds in full agreement. Or some of yours will say united together. Or some will say of one accord. And so... What that means is so important because it doesn't mean they always got along and they always agreed with stuff. In fact, that word, I want us to take a deeper look at it because it shows up in different places. They were of one accord. Some of your translations will say they were joined together. And one of the translations says with a single purpose. Like, did you know the early founding fathers, you know, everyone says, oh, they were Christians and they start... No, they weren't. Some of them were theists. Like, we know there's a God, but he's just kind of checked out. And then there were some, like John Adams, who was hardcore. Hardcore, like, this is who, he's almost Puritan-like. And so they just kind of bugged each other. They all had their different opinions, but they found a way to be in agreement. They were united together, not in terms of their faith, but in their understanding that they were all connected and they needed to be separate from this other government. They were united in that. That's what that means. Yet, there are situations where we just don't get along, right? There's situations where we're not devoted to each other. Where we, there's just these, these conflicts. So what I want us to do, though, is, is take a closer look here at, well, let me go back here. All of these, with their minds in full agreement, devoted themselves to prayer. And I'm using the Amplified Version we talked about last week, which kind of breaks some words down. And so it says that they waited together. So why would they, it says they were in full agreement or joined together or unanimous. But we know they weren't unanimous in everything, but they devoted themselves to prayer. And this is what I'm going to say this morning. What I'm seeing here, and you see it elsewhere in Acts, when they didn't get along or when they weren't one, they prayed. When, when things were wrong and they knew it and you sensed it, because this is the thing about the Spirit of God. We said the Spirit of God, who, by the way, is a person. The Spirit of God is not like the force. It's not this disembodied 
floating thing. It's God himself. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God, we're talking about God himself, the one you interact with now. Jesus said, I'm sending you the helper. I'm sending you my spirit, the Father's spirit. I can't handle the Father, and I got to go. So I'm going to leave you the spirit. You're still with us, and I will be with you through the spirit. So you've got this spirit, but sometimes it says that the spirit acts as the spirit of truth, showing you what's right and what's wrong and the way things should be. And so right now, as we talk about disagreements and conflict, there's got to be someone in your mind right now. You're like, I ain't getting along with that person, right? You just know it. In fact, they may be in this room. In fact, you may walk in, you may have seen them and go, hmm, I'm going to pretend like I didn't see them. Hope they didn't see me. And you want to go somewhere else so that you don't have to interact with them. But deep down, you're like, I know that's not right, but I don't really know what to do with that. So imagine this. Imagine if you were like this early church. And it doesn't say that they were in conflict at that moment. But the only way you're going to be one, in agreement, joined together, putting up with each other, is if you pray. So what if you started doing this? Every time that happens, where let's say it's in, in your, you're, you're part of a certain kind of group. It's a small group. It's a men's group. It's a women's group. It's a uh, triad, whatever it is. And let's say that someone in that group bummed you out. And in one of the smaller groups I'm in, that happened. And it's actually happening at this very moment. And so I'm like, man, well, this person should have done that, and this person should have done And you have all your opinions on how everybody should do things, right? Because we know what's right. Otherwise, we wouldn't think that. And, of course, we think correctly. But what if, in the midst of that, instead of trying to figure out how things should be, what if you just said, let's pray? One, it's going to freak out everyone there, even if they're Christian. Wait, what do you mean pray? Right now? No, I'm angry. Yeah, I think we should pray. You know, I'm angry with you. I don't want to pray with you. What if you just stop and pray? And it doesn't mean you go, okay, well, let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just, you know, fix this, open their eyes so they can truly see the truth. No, what if you approached God like, God, what should we do? How do you want us to see things? How are we going to be one? You're the boss. Like immediately you put yourself underneath God together. What if you do that in your marriage? How many knockdown dragouts could at least be minimized or stopped if you just said, okay, babe, let's just pray right now. Oh, I'm not ready to pray. I got more things to say. Okay, you can say those, but can we pray? Because we're not right right now. And in that prayer, you can even say it because it should be the truth. I want to hear from God because I could be wrong. And I want us to hear from God together. Let's, you think that's going to diffuse it? And we're not trying to diffuse it. That's not the goal. Let's just make sure we just stop fighting and have conflict. No, it's let us be one. Let us be joined together. Let us be intent on one purpose. What if we did that? What if the person in this room right now, you said, you know, let's get together. Actually, don't even say let's get together because we all know what that means. Hey, can we get together and talk? You're like, oh, no, what's wrong? Just take care of it right away. Just pray with them right away. What if it's with your kids? I mean, I know many of you probably never get frustrated with your kids. If you have them, me, I do. And I'm wrestling with this going, Maybe I should pray with them more. Not go, you know, I'm really upset. Let's pray. But just like, can we pray? Uh, what? What, what, what? Where did this come from? I just, I want us to be right, and I want us to be right with God. Let's just pray. To surrender yourself. That's the kind of prayer that we're talking about here. I mean, what if you did this at work? 
What if you did this with your family, your extended family? Whether they're believers or not, you ask permission. Are you okay with me just maybe praying for us right now? Oh, are we going to get all religious? No, I just want us to be one. But I'm specifically talking about the people of God, okay? This isn't, this is something that can be used outside, but it's meant to be with the people of God who have all recognized, just like those early followers of Jesus, after Peter shared this, and they said, okay, we get it, we agree. What do we do? It's meant, this, this pattern is meant for the people of God. Now, this word, this joined together, to give you an understanding of what we mean by being in agreement, um, there's another place where it appears, and in this context, it's about them singing together. It's about them worshiping God through music together, praying. And so Acts 4, 24, when they heard this, this is right after the, the, the Peter was released from jail and the other disciple was with him, and they were just magically, so to speak, released. And they knew it was the work of God. Like, when Patrick shared, did you just kind of want to, like, say something? Like, did some of you go, let's do a standing ovation. Wait, can we do that? Can we not? Because there's something in that just rose up inside of you, right? Like, today, when the Chargers absolutely destroy the Colts, many of us Chargers fans around are just going to be in our own places, but we're going to be all pumped up. We're going to want to stand up because something went the way it's supposed to go. And when we talk here, they've come in and it says, when they, the early church, when they were there, they heard this and they raised their voices together. That term Voices together, it's the same thing. It's the same thing we say when it says they were joined together. And so when we sing, you do realize nobody really cares what your voice sounds like. We're not like, hey, you know it would be a good idea? Let's all sing a song together because it will sound great. It's not the actual tone. In fact, some of you are singers and you're like, oh, my gosh. But the reason we do this is so that we are in agreement. That's what it means to worship together. And I was talking with Tyler about it this week as we were going through the, um, the message and just talking about him leading worship and what that's like. And he, he says, is it going okay? And I'm like, what do you mean is it going okay? He's like, well, sometimes when I'm leading, I just don't know. Sometimes I know when we're all together. He actually used that phrase, not even knowing yet what I was going to teach him. He said, I just feel like we're together. And there's sometimes where I'm like, Am I, are we just playing? Is anyone here? It's that he said, but when people jump in, he goes, I can't explain it, but I know when it happens. He goes, but something happens inside of me because I come and I'm stressed. You do know that, right? Every worship leader is stressed because they don't want to mess it up. But when, when you join together, whether you feel like it or not, but you make the choice, I'm going to participate because I'm in agreement. I'm in agreement with what we're singing. I'm in agreement with this. And he said, something happens. He goes, I don't know how to explain it. But it's like the weight that I carry just, it relieves me when everybody's joined together. And as he's sharing this, I'm just kind of smiling, going, mm-hmm, just you wait till Sunday. Because I knew this verse, because that's what it means. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So this is the key verse I want us to hold on to. They all joined together, constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the other disciples. Now, constantly doesn't mean every minute of the day. Because some of you are like, oh, gosh, I mean, prayer's kind of boring. I don't want to, like, do that all the time. That means just frequently. It just means it's like 
people won't be surprised when you're praying. It's not something outside of the rhythm of your life to say, hey, let's pray. Or to be a part of prayer, whether on your own or especially with each other. In your marriage, in your family, and in the church body. It's not abnormal because it's a rhythm that you've developed. It's a decision that you've made. Because prayer, here's the thing about prayer. Many people think prayer is like, okay, now I'm going to change God's mind. That's why we pray, right? Like, I want this for either me or someone else, and so I'm trying to change God's mind. That's not what prayer is. Prayer, more often, is God changing us. That's what prayer is. As we pray, something changes within us. Because in prayer, when it's, when it's real prayer, it means you've surrendered to him. Lord, is there anything you want me to see? Anything you want me to know? Like, I would really love for you to take away this pain in my loved one's life. Father, we surrender. I surrender her to you. I surrender myself to you. We're yours. What should we do? Is there anything we can do? I know what I want you to do, but what should we do? That's prayer. And we need to have a pattern of doing that together. So here's something we're going to do. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you need to fill out one of those cards or at least know that, you're on the, that you'll get the text or that you'll get the email. Because next Friday, one of the ways we can practically do this, it's not the only way, but one of the ways, we're going to have 24 hours of prayer. And so there's a sign-up list, it's online, but Kim who is very thoughtful for those that don't even know what the word online means, brought a clipboard so you can sign up that way too. Or if you're like, I better sign up now or it's not going to happen. We'll text this out, we'll email it. I think she already put it up on the website. But there's 15-minute increments. You can choose any of those. You can take several of them, but don't fill up like a ton of them so that no one else can sign up. Just wait until it gets a little closer. But the whole purpose of that is for us to pray as it says... Uh, here in verse 14, they all joined together, right? They joined. We're going to be joined together. Although we're not all going to be in the same room, we'll be joined together in frequent prayer. And we want every bit of that time to be taken. So it's technically Friday, but really it's Thursday night that it starts at midnight. Um, so it starts at midnight. It goes all through the middle of the night. And actually, I hate having my sleep interrupted. But whenever we do 24 hours of prayer, I love taking that 3 a.m. time because nothing happens. Like, I can't explain it because I don't like anyone messing with my sleep. I don't even want to have to get up to go to the bathroom. I just want to stay in bed. But when that prayer time hits, there's something about that middle of the night time. So don't stress out about signing up for the middle of the night. Some of us will take care of that. But then it'll go all the way to the following midnight when it turns to be Saturday. But it'll be Friday night. Okay. So you can sign up either way you want with that. So I'm going to close this in prayer. Um, and I'm going to invite the worship team up so that we can join our voices together. But as we look at this and wrestle with what this means, can you imagine what our community of faith will look like if we frequently pray together? If we frequently come to him and say, Lord, what can we do? What should we do? I mean, just that attitude is so different than the way we've been trained. And when we do that, God moves. I mean, that's basically what Patrick did. That's what so many of you have done. And we want to develop that pattern in our lives. And we want to do that together. Uh, the topic this morning, of course, is very stimulating for me. It brings up a lot of ideas. But uh, I guess the one word that I honed in on in the beginning was Greg talking about 
uh, the word perspective. Uh, I have the good fortune of um, teaching uh, world religions class, a couple classes in college, and so the very first day I talked to them about perspective. Obviously, that can be for world religions, but in our context, that can also just be within Christianity. The notion of perspective is really important. So I do a little sort of game with them, and I stand sideways, and I say, pretend that I represent um, reality, cosmic reality, some divine supernatural being. Um, each one of you seated in your chair has a certain perspective. That chair that you're seated in represents your upbringing, your ethnicity, your nationality, um, your DNA, your nurture, your nature, everything about you that, that shapes your perspective, that chair represents um, that for you. And I say, how many of you, when you come uh, next week, will sit in the exact same chair? And about 95% raise their hands. And the point being that that chair represents our perspective. It also represents our comfort zone. So you may be looking at the same reality. You're looking at, if I'm reality, you see the front of me. You see my big nose and my fat belly. You see my backside. We're all looking at the same reality, even within Christianity, but we have different perspectives. Um, it's important to work at unity if we're going to achieve unity. Perspective can either hinder unity or, or it can block unity. Uh, one of my favorite verses um, in the scriptures is there's um, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And, of course, that verse slashes any way that we categorize people, right? Um, we separate ourselves out by nationality or race or by uh, socioeconomic class or male or female uh, sexuality. All these ways that we, especially in our environment today, uh, it's so toxic. It's all about within politics and the media separating everybody out uh, rather than us being able to achieve unity. And the heart of the Lord is unity. I mean, Jesus spent a whole chapter, right, in the book of John talking about unity, talking about us being one. So if I'm going to achieve uh, unity through perspective, I need to know what it looks like to be Greek. I need to know what it looks like if I'm Jewish. I need to know what it looks like to be male or female. I need to know what it looks like to be slave or free. And if I get out of my comfort zone and begin to appreciate all the different perspectives out there, then already I'm a step ahead toward the unity. And I guess the other thing that is stimulated the thought about prayer as well is that, you know, these are all ways that we judge each other. And so if we're looking at each other, it's so easy to judge based upon where we're seated. Um, but when we pray, we're looking up and we can't judge God. God. God is above all judgment. And so as soon as we look up, Towards God, we can't judge anymore. And then it's that much easier as well to, you know, wherever we're seated in our chairs, to be united and to pray. So that being said, let's close out in prayer. And, um, and then afterwards, so I don't forget, please go find your children or help out, pick up a chair, whatever else needs to be done around here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. Um, we thank you that indeed we are. Whether we know it or not, we are all one in you um, because of your unifying love and grace, your sacrifice for all mankind throughout all history. We are all one, no matter where, where we're seated. 
but I do pray that you help us to move out of our comfort zone um, and that soften our hearts, soften our judgments, open our minds to different perspectives so that we can come together and not let anything hinder uh, the unity that you want to see in this body and throughout the world. And so I just pray that you would bless our efforts and that um, the direction the church is going now in terms of seeking change and uh, unity and prayer, I just pray that you would bless it, Lord, and that it would just open a door um, to an incredible uh, blessing and harvest. And we just thank you for your steadfast love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.